understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Hey wrestling fans, welcome to another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sean, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada, and you can catch us on one of 15 different outlets, including Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podcoin, where you can earn money just for listening to this podcast, and iTunes. I either caught something while in Toronto, or I'm dealing with some allergy issues, so I apologize right now for the scratchiness of my voice. We're going to try and persevere through this and bring you everything that happened in Toronto over Smash Week and SummerSlam Weekend. Myself, personally, I attended six different wrestling shows plus a post-wrestling Ask Away edition and it was exhausting but amazing at the same time. So I'll be right back after these short messages with the start of the adventure in Toronto. The one and only Tim Curry will be a featured guest at London Comic Con, presented by Start.ca, October 5th and 6th, 2019, the London Convention Center. Are you looking to get into the wrestling business? Well, look no further than the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory, located right here in London, Ontario. It's Tyson has over 20 years of experience in the wrestling world, and he's even been brought down to the WWE Performance Center to be a guest trainer. We've already seen the likes of Jordan James, Kyle Boone, Violet Lee, Jim Strider, Pharaoh Bowman, Chris Mitchells, and many more. Plus, the new generation that are coming from the second group, such as Josh Pine, Shiloh, Nova, Frankie War, and many more. You don't want to miss your opportunity to learn from one of the best in Ontario, if not all of Canada, or the world, in Tyson Dukes. So that's the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. It's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. And located at 309 Exeter Road, here in London.
My name is The Muscle, Smash Wrestling's hottest free agent. I toss bodies and wheel hotties, and you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling podcast. Welcome back, wrestling fans. Now let's take a look at everything that happened in Toronto. Starting on August 7th, as Smash Wrestling presented eight events over four days. All eight events took place at the Midtown Event Theater. The first one started on the 7th with Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. As kind of expected, with it being a Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m., it was kind of a little bit of a light crowd, but they were presented with five matches, including Sonny Zai defeating Buck Gunderson, The Dark Order defeated Stronghearts, Sammy Guevara defeated Alexander James, Christopher Daniels and Sima defeated Private Party, and Jayo Jingjaya defeated Speedball Mike Bailey. At 8 o'clock, there was a much bigger crowd for Progress and Smash Wrestling going against each other. Psycho Mike Rollins defeated Trent Seven. The Pillars, Brent Banks and Tyson Dukes, defeated Aussie Open. Jordan Grace defeated Alexia Nicole for the Progress Women's Championship match. Walter defeated Kevin Bennett. Tarek defeated Jordan Devlin. Tony Storm defeated Jody Threat. And there was an eight-man tag team match with... Team Smash with Daniel Garcia, Halal Beefcake, and John Greed replacing Sebastian Suave, taking on Chris Brooks, David Starr, Paul Robinson, and Travis Banks. The team of Smash ended up picking up the victory. The very next day, on Thursday, August 8th, WXW presented Ambition 11. It's a tournament format that they used for this show. The first round saw Timothy Thatcher defeat Alexander James, Daniel McAbee defeat Bobby Guns, Daniel Garcia defeated Buck Gunderson, and Walter defeated Mike Bailey. In semifinal match action, Timothy Thatcher defeated Daniel McAbee, Walter defeated Daniel Garcia, and in the Ambition Super Fight, Yuki Ishikawa defeated Tyson Dukes. The final match of the night was the Finals of the tournament where Walter defeated Timothy Thatcher. So Walter was your Ambition 11 champion. Thursday evening at 8 p.m. saw Progress Wrestling with their own show. Jordan Devlin defeated Travis Banks. Tony Storm defeated Holly Dead. There was a three-way tag team match with Aussie Open, Dark Order, and Butcher and Blade. The Aussie Open ended up winning that match. Trent Seven defeated Eddie Kingston. Chris Brooks and Jordan Grace defeated David Starr and Jody Threat. And the main event was a unified world title match with Walter defeating Paul Robinson. Moving on to Friday night, August 9th, there was actually three different programs going on at the same time in the Greater Toronto area. Over at the Madame Athletic Center, formerly the Maple Leaf Gardens, Ring of Honor presented Summer Supercard. Villain Enterprises defeated The Kingdom. Marty Skrull defeated PJ Black. Kelly Klein retained the Women of Honor world title over Tasha Steeles. Lifeblood defeated Jay Lethal and Jonathan Grisham. Roosh defeated Dalton Castle. The ROH television title match saw Shane Taylor defeat Tracy Williams. In six-man tag action, Caristico El Sabanero and Duncan Jr., El Barro Cavanero, Hanchico, and 
Templero. I probably butchered those gentlemen's names, and I apologize in advance. Ring of Honor World Title Match saw Matt Taven defeat Alex Shelley, and the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles were defended in a ladder match, with the Briscoe Brothers defeating the Gorillas of Destiny. Over Mississauga, Destiny Wrestling presented Icons. I want to give a shout out and thanks to James Weber for sending along the results for Destiny Icons. Channing Decker defeated Sh Ricky Shane Page in the Steel Cage match. Jake Lander defeated the D-Man. Trey Miguel won the next-gen title pinning Aiden Prince. Kevin Blackwood, Lionel Knight, and Ryan White were also part of that match. Joey Ryan defeated RJ City. Madman Fulton defeated Holden Albright. There was double disqualification with SCU and OVE. Tennille Dashwood defeated Silesia Sparks, and Michael Elgin and Josh Alexander defeated Mustache Mountain. Then we move on to the card that I was at, the start of the six events that I attended. Of course, it was Smash Wrestling, presenting Super Showdown 7 at the Midtown Event Theater. Before the show started, Dustin had given us a heads-up that, unfortunately, due to an injury that Mike Bailey suffered earlier in the day, that there would not be a title defense of Kevin Bennett versus Mike Bailey as he had won the Northern Tournament in June to become the number one contender. They still didn't know who was going to be challenging Kevin Bennett at the end of the night. The event started off with Jody Threat defeating Veda Scott. The Smash Wrestling tag team titles were in line as Halal Beefcake defeated Fight or Flight, but that was only due to the fact that they threw protein powder in Gabriel Fruez's face and blinded him, allowing them to pick up the victory. Lufista had an incredible match, defeating Jordan Grace. D Daisaki Sakamoto and Walter, who had battled each other earlier in the day, defeated the pillars of Brent Banks and Tarek. There was a five-way What's in the Boxes match with Brad Myers, of all people, yes, referee, and commentator Brad Myers, taking on Jim Strider, Psycho Mike Rollins, The Muscle, and John Greed. Now to give some context to this match, there's four poles on each corner, each pole had a box attached to it, and the object was to get a box and you could leave the match. Jim Strider picked up the first box, Muscle got the second one after he tried to pin John Greed, and couldn't do that because there was no pins. And Strider advised him to go just get a box. Muscle got his box and left. Then there was some scissors action with John Greed and Psycho Mike. And eventually Psycho Mike got a box for himself. Greed destroyed Brad Myers after he had gotten his box. And that left John Greed without a box. They brought out everybody else to open up their boxes. And since Brad had dedicated his win to Scott Hunter, Scott ended up taking Brad's box to open it since Brad was essentially dead after what John Greed had done to him. And so they started opening up the boxes. And Jim Strider's box, there was a huge 
chain larger than what even Hercules Hernandez ever had. Muscle went nuts. He wished he had had that box. And just, you could see him really defeated in that he opened up his box and there was a piece of paper in it. And Dustin told him there's words on the paper. Yet Muscle said he couldn't read. So Dustin read it to him and it gave him a number one contendership. So essentially it was basically like money in the bank where he has a guaranteed contract at a title shot. Oddly enough though, he asked Jim Strider to trade prizes as he really wanted that long chain over a title match. So the two guys traded the uh, prizes and were then dismissed from the ring. Scott Hunter then opened up Brad's box and since it was basically told that whoever opened the box would get the prize. It turned out that Scott Hunter was fired from Smash Wrestling. Scott got out of the ring, was all downhearted, went to the commentating table to try and pick up his stuff. And as Psycho Mike opened his box and it turned out to be a desk lamp, he was wondering what to do with it. They ended up plugging it in, and it actually worked, and turned out to be a like a magic genie lamp. He was awarded three wishes. Scott tried to convince Psycho Mike to get him his job back. Mike wasted two of his wishes, not shockingly, and then tried to wish for more wishes. When Scott tried to tell him that it couldn't happen, but it is actually in the rule book, if Psycho Mike were to get a magic lamp. He could wish for more wishes. And since it's in the rule book, he got more wishes. So he ended up wishing Brad to be alive. And magically, Brad got up and he was alive. Scott got his job back. And it turns out for now on, at least for the foreseeable future, Psycho Mike Rollins has unlimited wishes. This could be interesting in future Psycho Mike Rollins matches. Then we saw Rosemary defeat Sebastian Suave, who had Kingdom by his side. There was a three-way match with Carter Mason defeating Jason Kincaid and Tyson Dukes. At the end of the match, Tyson gave Carter Mason his props. He went to leave. Carter invited his mom into the ring as his mom has been his biggest supporter. It's been basically years since he's been able to get back into the ring after taking an absence and so Tyson came back and helped Carter's mom into the ring they celebrated a moment but then Tyson got into the ring and just waffled Carter Mason with a uh, chair laying him out Carter's mom went after Tyson Tyson ended up pushing his mom into a corner choking her he finally let go and left the ring but he basically insulted Carter's wall calling him mama's boy instead of the king of the north and it appears to be a double turn as Tyson turned on the fans as well the main event saw the smash wrestling championship online and Mike Bailey did come out to get in Kevin Bennett's face after Kevin came out but 
he wasn't the challenger as we knew. Next thing you know, Red Death. Daniel Garcia's music played. The crowd went wild. Daniel Garcia went against Kevin Bennett. It was an amazing match. Halal Beefcake tried to interfere while Garcia had Bennett in the sharpshooter, but they were able to get rid of Halal Beefcake. The match continued, and it wasn't for a distraction by Roscoe Black coming out to the stage that caused Garcia to lose to Kevin Bennett. Bennett retained the title. There was a little bit of a beatdown, and Tarek made the save. There was a little bit of tug-of-war over the title between Tarek and Daniel Garcia as Bennett and Black were on the floor. A fan got in Black's face. There was an altercation, which I will read a statement from Smash Wrestling in just a moment, and that's how everything ended. Quickly, before we go for a short break, Smash Wrestling did announce an official statement. It said, last Friday at Smash Wrestling Super Showdown, an incident occurred after the show where new roster member Roscoe Black struck a fan when trying to intimidate in character. Immediately after the segment ended, the performer came out to check on the fan for his regretful actions along with an apology, which was accepted. The reason for this post is not uh, for the fan in question, but for the remaining fans who expect to come to an event feeling safe. We want to stress to fans that since our inception, one of our two primary rules at Smash Wrestling has been not to touch the fans. We will continue to reinforce this rule every show and follow up with an internal discipline on this particular incident. That was from the Smash Wrestling management. I know there was a lot of uh, upset fans that saw what happened, and so thankfully Smash Wrestling has addressed this. I know uh, after the show also, because I gave Muscle a ride back to his house, we had talked about it, and he mentioned to me that that's one of two rules, that you do not touch fans. So obviously something went awry. It's good to see that Roscoe did come out and talk to the fan, and there was an apology uh, made there and we'll see what happens going forward what sort of punishment smash wrestling has with roscoe is obviously up to them to deal with and it appears though roscoe will still be with smash wrestling as he's scheduled to be with kevin bennett in the near future it looks like he's taking up the role that tank used to have as part of the kevin bennett experience and yeah I'll be back in just a moment to review the activity at the Summit, OWE's second night, and post-wrestling's Ask Away event. Before we get back to some of the review of Smash Week in Toronto, let's take a look at what they have coming up over the next couple weeks. If you're in Woodstock and happen to be by Calapalooza, you can check them out Saturday afternoon. From 1 until 4, you're going to see the Muscle and Nova take part in some of the matches being presented. Then, on Sunday, August 18th, Proving Grounds in Burlington. It happens at the Austrian Continental Club in Burlington, Ontario. Doors open at 4 p.m. with the first bell at 5. 
Smash Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Ontario bring a showcase event to Burlington featuring young up-and-coming wrestlers against some of the best veterans in Smash. You'll see some exciting tag team action as PWO mainstay and veteran The High Risk Hero Rip Impact teams up with one of the hottest youngsters in wrestling today, Daniel Garcia, and they will take on the team of the punishing powerhouse Roscoe Black and the reigning Smash champion Kevin Bennett. A big fatal four-way will happen. You got one of the pillars of Smash wrestling in Brent Banks. You got one of the tough and relentless John Greed, one of the most popular stars in PWO in the grinder Mark Shaw, and the current reigning Pro Wrestling Ontario Openweight Champion Jake Heavyweight Jones. Action from bell to bell between four very different personalities, but all with the same goal, winning. See this and more as PWO and Smash Wrestling present Welcome to the Proving Grounds. Another one of the pillars of Smash Wrestling, the man who embodies what wrestling is all about. Accurately referred to as the Wrestling Cyborg, Tyson Dukes will engage in a battle with the intense and unpredictable 2019 Iron Cup winner, Burlington's own Night Train, Justin Sane. This will be a battle of the ages, and predicting a clear-cut winner is next to impossible. Another one of the pillars... The endorsement, Sebastian Suave, gets set to square off against perennial PWO Iron Cup contender Corey Stone. Is the veteran Suave going to be wily enough to blunt the Canadian buzzsaw, or will Stone prove to be too much to handle? Smash Wrestling Cycle Mike Rollins squares off against PWO mainstay and former Steel City Triad member Cutthroat Chris Logan. Chris Logan is also a member of Disgraceland. Will Psycho Mike's conscience lead him to victory, or will Logan's vicious mean streak be the difference maker? One-third of PWO Trios champions returns to defend his kingdom as the King of the North. Carter Mason will take on one of the members of Smash Wrestling's notorious factions known as Killscreen in Anthony Gaines. Plus another tag team match, we'll see Raunchy Nuts taking on Forte and Tyler Arrow. It all happens August 18th, Continental Austrian Club in Burlington, Ontario, 664 Spring Gardens Road, Burlington. Doors open at 4, bell at 5. Wrapping up the Smash Wrestling calendar is August 24th, Born to be Wild, Smash Wrestling TV taping for the Fight Network. It's a Saturday night at the London Music Hall, 4 p.m. Doors open with the first bell at 5. You'll see The Revolt, Alec Realm and Jordan James having another big test coming against them as they take on the other half of the pillars in Sebastian Suave and Brent Banks. With Halal Beefcake resorting to throwing powder in the eyes of Gabriel Forreza to retain their championships at Super Showdown 7, it's been decided that the best option on August 24th is a split-up halal beefcake. Von Vertigo has a shot at revenge, taking on Idris Abraham. But that doesn't mean Joel Coleman has the night off. He will face possibly the most powerful man in Smash Wrestling right now, Psycho Mike Rollins. What other wishes will Psycho Mike make during Born to be Wild? 
Jim Strider has a big opportunity ahead of him as he now holds a contract granting him a championship match. But on August 24th, he still has a huge test ahead of him as he takes on Tyler Turva, returning to the London Music Hall. When Carter Mason got his wish and was added to the Dukes-Kincaid match, we thought those two could finally settle their issue, and it seemed like they did. Then Tyson Dukes had to go and choke Mason's own mother. On August 24th, you'll see Tyson Dukes take on Carter Mason one-on-one. -on -one. Tickets for all these events can be obtained by going to the Smash Wrestling website at smash-wrestling.com. And more information can be found here on our podcast, on our Facebook page, and of course on the Smash Wrestling Facebook page. Breaking news from Dog River. Tara Spencer Naren, best known as the lovable constable Karen Pelly from the hit TV comedy Corner Guest, will be at London Comic Con, October 5th and 6th, London Convention Center, presented by Start.ca. Jody Thread, and you're listening to Scumbags Podcast. Welcome back to the show. It appears that I missed the results from WXW on Friday afternoon. It happened at the Midtown Event Theater, and SEMA defeated Brent Banks, Daniel McAbee, and Julian Pace. The WXW shotgun title match had Emil Sataki defeat Avalanche. A non-title three-way women's match had Amel defeat Allison Kay and Lufisto, who replaced Tony Storm. The WXW Unified World Title match had Bobby Guns defeat Mike Bailey, and this is apparently where Mike Bailey got injured and was not able to take part in Super Showdown 7. Timothy Thatcher defeated Yuki Ishikawa. There was a three-way tag team match with The Crown, defeating Aussie Open and Stronghearts, and the singles match had Walter defeating Daisaki Sakamoto, and they apparently went all out and beat the hell out of each other, but then still teamed together later on in the evening to go against the Pillars. After being at Super Showdown and dropping off muscle at his place, I actually didn't get to bed at my B&B &B until about 1.30, but I was up at 6.30 in the morning, just to get my shower and head on public transit down to the Met again for the Summit. It was presented by Smash Wrestling, Femme Fatales, Rise, and Shimmer. The event started at 9 a.m. with a special meet and greet of Bull Nakano. If you ever saw Bull Nakano back in WWE when she was going against the Lender Blaze and trading back the women's title, she looks totally different and like half her size now compared to what she looked like then. She looks amazing today and you would not know it's the same woman. The day earlier here in London, Bull Nicano had a special session. I believe it was at the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory and there was women invited to work out with her. It was a special training seminar with her and those who impressed her enough we're going to be invited to join her at the summit in a special match to open up the event. 
and that was Max the Impaler and Leah Vaughn. Max the Impaler ended up beat, defeating Leah in only her third match back in action. The other dark match had Alexia Nicole and Mabel Farrell defeat Jody Threat and Mary Lee Rose. Then the real event started, and it kicked off with the Smash Wrestling Women's Championship being presented for the first time. Sandra Bale was brought out to be the guest referee, and Rosemary defeated Casey Spinelli to become the first Smash Wrestling Women's Champion. There was a tag team match with C-Stars, actually Vox and Delmi Exo, defeating Dust and Veda Scott. This was originally supposed to be two singles matches that got turned into a tag team match. Delilah Doom defeated Shotzi Blockhart. The Phoenix Arise title match had Big Swole defeat Zoe Lucas to become the new champion. There was a fatal four-way match with Priscilla Kelly picking up the victory over Allison Kay, cheerleader Melissa, and Lufisto. The Femme Fatale International title match had Mercedes Martinez retain against Jordan Grace, and the Shimmer title match had Nicole Savoy defeat Nicole Matthews. It was an incredible morning of women's action and definitely outshined some of the action we were going to see with the women on WWE roster later on in the weekend. Smash Week wrapped up its eighth and final event at the Midtown Event Theater with OWE. It started right at 3 p.m., no intermission, right to 5 o'clock so people could get out of there and get to the Scotiabank Arena in time for NXT TakeOver. L. Lindemann defeated Brandon Cutler. Sonny Zai defeated Bolo Fung and Buck Gunderson in a three-way match. T-Hawk defeated Daniel Garcia. SCU, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian, defeated Brent Banks and Psycho Mike Rollins. Seema defeated Daniel McAbee. And Zhao Zingjaya defeated Sammy Guevara. All these matches were spectacular and... I can't believe how Smash was able to present eight different styles of matches, eight cards, over four days. I did see Alan Taylor running around a lot, trying to fix any camera issues and communications problems that was going on, and that guy worked so hard to present all these. can only imagine what they're going to look like when they're presented on TV in any format, whether it's on demand or on the Fight Network. So I want to give my congratulations to Smash Wrestling for everything and give props to everybody who was involved with it, whether you were a talent, co-promoter with Smash Wrestling, or any of the fans who came up to support this great venture. It was a huge weekend and week leading up to SummerSlam and pure wrestling all around. The fans were the winners for sure. Just a quick note on my Sunday activity before SummerSlam. Chris Maloney and I went over to the John Candy Box Theater at Second City in Toronto. We saw John Pollock and Wei Ting of Post Wrestling do a live podcast for Ask Away. We ended up showing up just in time. There were 75-ish people. We were front row. There's a video of it. There's also a version of it for patreons 
we were part of asking questions. It was really good uh, show. Afterwards, we ended up uh, getting to meet with John and Way, get a photo taken. They noticed my Scumbags Wrestling podcast t-shirt. They asked about that. I told them a little bit about it and asked for a little advice. Basically, it's just be consistent uh, is what I got from them. And that's what I try to do here. But it was great uh, meeting some of the pod fathers of Canada podcasting, and especially in the wrestling realm. And uh, yeah, it was a great afternoon. So I'm going to take a quick break, come back with everything happened WWE over SummerSlam weekend, including NXT TakeOver, SummerSlam, Raw, and SmackDown. All those other independent shows would not have probably been happening during that week had it not been for WWE invading Toronto with SummerSlam. Of course, when they invade a city, they take it over for four days and they present TakeOver, SummerSlam, Raw, and SmackDown. Plus, they had a spot at the convention center with a superstore and some meet and greets. It all started at the Scotiabank Arena with NXT TakeOver Toronto 2. Beth Phoenix, Mauro Ronaldo, and Nigel McGuinness were the commentators, and two matches were recorded ahead of the actual show going live on the WWE Network, and that was Rizango defeating the Forgotten Sons, and Jordan Miles beat Cameron Grimes in the thrilling breakout tournament finale. William Regal came to the stage to congratulate Jordan Miles. It appeared that he was handed a contract for NXT, and this was all then recorded and shown on this Wednesday's edition of NXT. The actual TakeOver show saw NXT Tag Team title match open the event, and the Street Profits defeated the Undisputed Era. Io Shirai defeated Candice Ray in one of the better women's matches that WWE presented this weekend. NXT North American title was defended in a triple threat match as Velveteen Dream retained and defeated Pete Dunne and Roderick Strong. Shayna Baszler retained the NXT Women's Championship over Mia Yim in a very sloppy yet long match. And then there was the NXT title match with Best 2 of 3 Falls featuring Adam Cole against Johnny Gargano. The first fall had regular wrestling rules, and after about 20 minutes, Gargano had enough and got himself disqualified. Then it became a street fight with Gargano getting the victory over Adam Cole, and then a steel cage was lowered to the ground, and it was covered in weapons. This match was insane with so many spots. They thought there was a bag full of tacks. It turned out to be brass knuckles and other weapons. And it didn't end until both of them fell off the top of the cage through a table. And Adam Cole retained the NXT Championship. The Undisputed Era came out to help Adam Cole to the back after being battered the way he was. And Johnny Gargano just laid there for a while. Kenneth LeRae came out to help him up. He got helped up. Everybody was chanting, thank you, Johnny. He made his way to the top of the ramp, and once again, 
William Regal came out to congratulate him and appears to be his send-off from NXT. Hopefully they don't screw this up when he goes to the main roster because, yeah, they usually have done that and it was good that he only stayed for a couple of weeks when they initially tried to bring him up earlier this year. This brings us to the next day for SummerSlam. The pre-show started at 6 o'clock. They let us in at 5 o'clock because on the network they were doing their talking, but it was kind of worthless on the network to stand around and listen to that. Unfortunately, in the arena, we don't get to hear any of it. We could see Sam Roberts and JBL doing their thing. We could see McFoley at the table uh, talking about the mandible claw and everything that way. But, yeah, it's kind of a waste of time to be there. Uh, matches did start around 6 o'clock. And we saw Drew Gulak defend the Cruiserweight uh, Championship against Only Lorcan and defeat him. Buddy Murphy and Apollo Crews went to a no disqual. Excuse me. Their match ended in a no contest as Eric Rowan had come out to beat up Buddy Murphy because of what Murphy said about him being responsible for Roman Reigns' accidents and attempted uh, hits over the last uh, couple of days. And he wasn't too keen on having Buddy Murphy saying his name. So that's how that match ended. Then Elias came out and sang a wonderful song about Toronto, mocking them for not having a Stanley Cup, wanting to get out of there like Kawhi Leonard did, and that's when the lights went out, and all of a sudden you heard Edge's theme. The roof nearly blew off the Scotiabank Arena. Edge came out, came to the ring, looked at Elias, and then speared him. That just totally blew my mind and everybody else's around me and probably everybody else in the arena as it's been told to us numerous times that edge cannot take any bumps without risking paralysis yet he obviously received some sort of clearance and was able to do that spear i doubt this is going to mean anything further of him being able to come back as much as fans would love for that to happen i don't see it happening and yeah, then that moved on to the WWE Women's Tag Team title match with Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defeating the Iconics, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. As they got ready to go live for SummerSlam, we were warned that there was actually going to be Pyro, which is a rarity in WWE lately. But I guess this helps that it is one of the major four and not a Saudi Arabia show either, where it has pyro compared to the other events started off with a raw women's title match it was submission rules with becky lynch and natalia going at it the crowd was kind of 50 50 on becky lynch of course natalia home country and unfortunately she did lose in her home country there was a interesting spot that reminded me of how brett would put on the figure four around the post in this case, Natalia put the sharpshooter on Becky while on the uh, top turnbuckle. So it was kind of a shout out to her uncle that way. And Becky Lynch, though, did get the submission on Natalia. Goldberg defeated 
Dolph Ziggler in No Time Flat. Goldberg had his uh, fireworks as well, his sparklers, and uh, he took two super kicks from Dolph before hitting a spear and a jackhammer. Then Dolph called him out again. Goldberg answered, speared him, left. Dolph got on the mic again, made fun of Goldberg. Goldberg came back out, picked up Dolph, stood him up on his feet, ran the ropes, and hit another spear to end the whole segment. The United States Championship was on the line with AJ Styles defending against Ricochet. Ricochet at one point had used Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows' shoulders to climb over uh, from the top rope and on their shoulders across to hit AJ Styles. It was a pretty decent 13-minute match, but AJ Styles retained the United States Championship. In a somewhat disappointing match, much like their build-up, Bailey and Number Moon had no heat going into it, and the crowd was kind of dead on this. Bailey defeated Ember Moon to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. The crowd came alive, though, when Kevin Owens came out, and he defeated Shane McMahon. Of course, Shane needed Elias out there as a special enforcer. Elias tried to give a chair to Kevin Owens to tempt him into hitting Shane and get him disqualified. The real ref went down. Owens had used the chair on Elias, and then he went to go use the chair on Shane. The referee noticed, and instead he handed the referee the chair. As the ref had his back turned to put the chair outside the ring, Owens hit Shane with a low blow and then a stunner. The three count happened, and Kevin Owens defeated Shane McMahon. Next up was Charlotte Flair going against Trish Dress in a Battle of the Eras. Charlotte wants to be the queen of all eras, and, well, she ended up getting Trish to submit to the figure eight, so I guess she can now claim to be the queen of all eras. This was apparently Trish's final match of her career. Who knows, she might appear at a Royal Rumble again, but ideally this was supposed to be her send-off officially in her home country. And hometown, for that matter. Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton had an odd match. The fans were chanting Kofi stupid. They were chanting for Randy Orton. Orton Pulse Randy sucks. But then Kofi was hit with an RKO and rolled to the outside. People started chanting Kofi smart. Somehow everything happened on the outside. Kofi's family were ringside. Randy, I guess, went after them. Kofi uh, stopped him, and the referee ended up counting him out. Kofi ended up getting a kendo stick and beating Randy up with it. Fans were really down on this ending, which I don't blame them, but I guess it does allow them to carry on to Clash of Champions next month. And so Kofi is still the WWE Champion. There was a match with The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, taking on Finn Balor. It didn't last too long. The entrance was amazing uh, to see live. And even on TV, it was great how they used the lighting and special effects. There's uh, 
a mask of the old look of Bray Wyatt on the lantern. It was kind of creepy. And the Fiend ended up beating Finn Balor in quick fashion. Seth Rollins ended up defeating Brock Lesnar to become the new Universal Champion. It took about 13 and a half minutes to do so, but there was uh, some quick momentum on Seth's part. There was a point when Brock actually picked up Seth and swung him around by his uh, bandage that he was wearing over his ribs. It was kind of interesting. There was a spot where Seth splashed from the top rope onto the Spanish announce table. A couple F5s, some suplexes, and it wasn't enough to put Seth away. Seth picked up the title and uh, celebrated with the fans uh, to end the show. In my opinion, both shows are really great to be in attendance. I haven't been to a WD show live for a while, and to be at my first NXT TakeOver and a SummerSlam that I have not been to in 15 years in that same building was really great. I would go again, obviously, and look forward to seeing whatever else comes into our area. Checking out the rest of the week in WD at the Scotiabank Arena. Raw started with AJ Styles confronting Seth Rollins. It resulted in a match being set up at the main event. Samoa Joe defeated Sami Zayn. The Miz defeated Dolph Ziggler. Ricochet defeated Elias. Andrade defeated Rey Mysterio in a 2-0-3 falls match with two straight falls. Drew McIntyre defeated Cedric Alexander. Robert Roode defeated No Way Jose. The Revival defeated R-Truth to become the new 24-7 champion, but then R-Truth defeated the Revival to win the title back. Elias defeated R-Truth to finish off the night as the 24-7 champion. Sasha Banks returned during a speech of Natalia's, and she was talking about her father passing away because it's almost been a year for that. Sasha interrupted her, got a microphone, and then ended up beating up Natalia. Becky Lynch came to make the save, and she got beat up by Sasha Banks, too. The Viking Raiders defeated Smash Wrestling's Carter Mason and Sebastian Suave. I forgot to mention that Suave and Carter, along with Stone Rockwell, were part of a breakup of a brawl between Matt Riddle and Killian Dane during NXT TakeOver. So it was great to see some local talent being there, and congratulations to Carter and Sebastian for being a part of Monday Night Raw this past week. Unfortunately, they got squashed, just like Eric Abraham did uh, the week before. But, yeah, definitely congrats for being highlighted on that. And Stone Rockwell actually was part of Noe Jose's conga line this week. And even dressed as Stone Rockwell, which normally is only seen on Impact Wrestling. WWE Women's Tag Team titles were defended, and Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defeated the Kabuki Warriors. The main event saw Seth Rollins defeat AJ Styles by disqualification. Braun Strowman and Ricochet attacked the OC after the match to even up the odds. Over on SmackDown, Shane McMahon fined 
Kevin Owens $100,000 because he beat up Elias at SummerSlam because Elias was in an official referee's position. So for beating up a a WWE official, he got a $100,000 fine. Charlotte Flair defeated Amber Moon. Roman Reigns defeated Buddy Murphy in what a lot of people have been calling one of the matches of the year. Samoa Joe defeated Kevin Owens with Elias as a special guest referee or outside enforcer again. And the Revival and Randy Orton defeated the New Day. Daniel Bryan suggested he knows who targeted Roman Reigns and apparently will let people know next week where that's going. So another incredible takeover of a city by WWE. Pun intended, yes, by saying takeover. But four days, four events, Scotiabank Arena. Next year, all of it's going to happen in Boston for SummerSlam. Think you got what it takes to beat Kenny Omega? Then grab a controller and let's see what you got. Join an elite group of VIPs to play some of the greatest retro video games of all time with Kenny Omega. Old school technology meets modern day technique for one heck of a VIP video game party. VIP tickets are on sale now. London Comic Con, October 5th and 6th at the London Convention Center, presented by Start.ca. Don't be a stupid idiot and miss this all-elite vacation, man. Join the GOAT and thousands of the Friends of Jericho as they set sail on the Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, Part 2. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. There's less than 30 cabins available. Yo, this is Tarek. Listen to Scumbags of Wrestling. Punch, kick, chop, done. And now let's look at everything else happening in the world of wrestling, plus some WWE news. To wrap up our show. In AEW news, AEW put on tickets for sale in Boston and in Philadelphia for episodes two and three of their show happening on TNT in October, and they instantly sold out. I had a discussion with one of the guys on our Facebook page who said that AEW is on fire, and I totally agree with that statement. However, at the same time, Currently, they are an unproven product. I, for one, want to support them. I do believe that the wrestling world needs an alternative. They need a, another place to work, another another place other than WWE. However, at the same time, those who have followed Double or Nothing and their shows since Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen have noticed that in reviews and while watching it myself, that some of the quality and hype is slowly diminishing. I uh, don't mean it in a harsh way, but when your hype is up here at like a 10 for double or nothing, and it slowly gets down to like a 7 or even maybe lower for Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen, what are they going to do with a weekly TV show? That has to progress to another pay-per-view. I do believe, though, they've done a great job of hyping All Out, which is going to happen at the end of this month, August 31st. I'm going to run down the card in just a moment, and I do hope for the best for them. Uh, Like I said, the wrestling world needs something else in it other than WWE. 
WWE's been my thing since I was 10 years old, but I also did watch the AWA. I watched WCW. The occasional time I tried to watch TNA, but, you know, they tried to be WWE light. They tried to be somebody that they're not. They didn't have their own personality. And now Impact Wrestling has that stench on it that they can't escape, even though they've improved so much since getting people like Cyrus and everybody else involved. And they can't seem to rise above. Even ROH has sank since they lost the guys from AEW, the Elite, and they're trying to rebuild themselves. Fans are wanting something new. Fans want to have something great. AEW is got that potential to it. And I can understand why things are selling out the way they are. But until we see what they're going to present on a weekly basis for two hours. Is an unknown commodity at the moment. And I hope the best for them. Now let's take a look at what's going to happen August 31st. In Chicago, Illinois, at the Sears Center, for All Out. It was announced that there's going to be a female version of the Casino Battle Royal, with the winner receiving a match for the inaugural AEW Women's Championship, scheduled to happen on the first edition of the AEW on TNT show October 2nd. Nyla Rose, Britt Baker, Yuka Sakasaki, Ali, Brandy Rhodes, Teal Piper, Ivorlees, and Jazz have been confirmed so far for the 21-woman battle royal. Other matches scheduled to happen at All Out include Rio taking on Hikaru Shida in a singles match, Darby Allin, Joey Janela, and Jimmy Havoc in a three-way match that's unquestionably going to have a lot of weapons, probably some tacks and staple guns and tables all happening in it. Cody is going to take on Sean Spears. He'll have Tully Blanchard by his side. The Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix, are going to defend the AAA World Tag Team Championships in a ladder match against the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. Best friends Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta will take on the Dark Order, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson in a tag team match, with the winners receiving a first-round bye in the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tournament that will obviously happen in October when they start their show on TNT. John Moxley is going to take on Kenny Omega in a singles match, and Hangman Adam Page will challenge Chris Jericho to be the first AEW World Champion in company history. It all happens August 31st, in Chicago, Illinois, at the Sears Center. If you don't have tickets, because they sold out quickly as well, you can always get it on pay-per-view or on the Fight TV app. That's F-I-T-E app. Also on the Fight TV app, you can get StarCast 3. If you order right now, for a limited time only, for $40, you get StarCast 3 plus the 59 other shows that were done in StarCast 1 and 2. It's 68 hours of content, and StarCast 3 is going to have 11 shows. 
It all starts August 29th at 5.30 with Being the Elite Mailbag Live until 7. On August 29th at 7 p.m. will be the official All Out press conference and weigh-ins. At 8.30, From Undesirable to Undeniable, featuring Cody Rhodes. At 10 a.m. on Saturday, August 30th, Malenko. It'll be a panel with Dean Malenko. At 12 p.m., the women of AEW. At 2 p.m., they are wrestling with Colt Cabana. At 4 p.m., Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with MJF. At 6 p.m., Wrestling with Stereotypes 2. At 8 p.m., Moxley. I believe it is one-on-one with John Moxley and good old JR. At 10 p.m. on August 30th is Cock of the Walk with Joey Ryan. August 31st, Tales of Hardcore Legend with Mick Foley at 10 a.m. And the best in the world, CM Punk. At 12 p.m. August 31st, there's also going to be a Joey Janela party and a DDP yoga seminar. So that's all happening at StarCast 3. You can get that on Fight TV app. Currently, it's only $40 US, and if you have enough credits like I did, I have that as a free thing now, and will be enjoying all the action of StarCast 3, plus if you order now and you didn't get the StarCast 1 and 2, you'll actually get those included with your purchase. Since our last show, there was two more events with the New Japan G1 tournament block a had lance archer defeat evil bad luck folly defeated sonata zack saber jr defeated kenta will osprey defeated hiroshi tanahashi and kota ibushi defeated okada block b wrapped up on august 11th with jeff cobb defeated yano taishi defeating ishii juice robinson defeated john moxley Takagi defeated Goto. Jay White defeated Naito. Which left the standings with Kota Ibushi winning Block A with 14 points. And Jay White winning Block B with 12 points. Kota Ibushi defeated Jay White to win the New Japan G1 tournament for this year. There was also an interesting match in the undercard which also had Kenta joining the Bullet Club in probably one of the best angles that they've seen in a long while. So that's your wrap-up of the G1 Climax 29. While there was a lot of stuff that came out of WWE while they spent four days in Toronto, the biggest news was the fact that they're bringing back the King in the Ring tournament. It's going to start this week on Monday Night Raw. They've chosen 16 competitors, 8 from Raw, 8 from SmackDown, and they've posted what the brackets are going to look like. The semifinals are being advertised for Raw and SmackDown at Madison Square Garden on September 9th and 10th. Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter is reporting that the finals will be September 15th at the Clash of the Champions card in Charlotte, North Carolina. As the bracket stands right now, it has Cesaro against Samoa Joe. 
with the winner of that taking on the winner of Ricochet and Drew McIntyre. Cedric Alexander and Sami Zayn will face the winner of the Miz and Baron Corbin match. Over on SmackDown, Kevin Owens will take on Elias, with the winner of that match going against the winner of Ali and Buddy Murphy. Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin, former, former tag team partners, will battle against each other, and the winner of that will take on the winner of Apollo Crews and Andrade. Apollo Crews and Andrade have had their bouts this past while with challenges going back and forth. Andrade's been quite busy also fending off challenges with Rey Mysterio. My personal pick for the finals sees Cedric Alexander against Andrade, with Andrade picking up the King of the Ring title in 2019. What are your picks for this year's King of the Ring tournament? It hasn't been around for about four or five years, and it's about time it returned and gave something extra. Maybe there's going to be an incentive for the winner of the King of the Ring getting some sort of title shot and not be treated as some sort of joke like it kind of was with Wade Barrett and Sheamus. Check out our Scumbags Wrestling Facebook page where you can put your predictions and breakdown of the brackets and we'll see who has bragging rights at the end of the tournament at Clash of Champions on September 15th. Trekkies rejoice! Denise Crosby, Lieutenant Tasha Yar, makes her way to London Comic Con, October 5th and 6th, presented by Start.ca at the London Convention Center. And this wraps up another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. Thank you for sitting through this with my scratchy throat. I apologize. Hopefully feel better next week. You can always catch us every week on one of 15 stations, whether it's iHeartRadio, Podcoin, where you can make your own money by listening to this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and the 10 others that are available. You can also join me every Friday for Factory Fridays, the production line from the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory, where you can see the stars of tomorrow being made today right here in London at the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory. We present a new show on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel every Friday, so you don't want to miss out on that. Also, stay tuned to our Facebook page daily as we celebrate the wrestler of the day with their birthday and talk everything pro wrestling as it comes up throughout the day. Thank you for joining me, and until next time, have a great one.